0: For He's not shy of oh, right. and You can see why. That is sensational. You're listening to the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Powered by McDonald's.
1: Another week and another edition of the Robbie Fowler Podcast. Welcome along then. Chris McCarty, joined by the man himself, Liverpool legend, former Leeds Blackburn. I've given this intro so many times. Any any teams that I've missed out, Rob? Blackburn Cardiff? Any others?
2: Uh, well, you've you've missed a few Australian teams out and a Thai team, of course.
1: <laughs> what what's the club that you have least the least best memories from? It's a bit harsh asking you this, but I'll ask it anyway.
2: you anyway. You know what? Without being obviously
1: disrespectful, disrespectful
2: it, it would probably be Blackburn. In all fairness, because I went there with, um, I mean, I left Cardiff, and I mean, I left because obviously my family were back in up at North and. Uh, we had the house up Cardiff and I I was out injured uh Cardiff and Paul Ince was the dead manager at Blackburn and he just phoned me up and he obviously knew um, he knew my missus was, was up uh, north and he knew that I maybe wanted to get get home uh, and he just said he said look we'll, we'll give you the contract he said I won't guarantee you'll be playing but um, you know you come there show us what you've got and uh, you know, we'll look after you um, probably the worst decision <laughs> I've done on a, on a football thing, not against or not against uh, the club, I've just obviously never played. So uh, whether it was that that moment that I just everything was bypassing me, or you know I just couldn't do it anymore, uh, but it just seemed pointless. So I went to Blackbird. Didn't I played? Ironically, I played three games. Uh, we played against Manu in the Cup, we played against uh, Everton in the Cup, and I played against Bolton in the league. Uh, we beat Everton in the Cup 1 0, uh, got mad at the match. We drew with Bolton 0 0, uh, and we got beat. Uh, I actually can't remember the score against Manu because any games against Manu you lose, you just forget about them, Chris. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah, three games, and Ince uh, got, got the, the sack, uh, and obviously big Big Sam took over then, didn't he? He and did. Uh, I, I did in the the grapevine and various stories over the years that Big Sam wasn't a fan of fan of myself. Really? Um, yeah, I, f- I mean, I don't know whether it's true. Well, I think what we'll, do, you mean? Uh, oh,
1: what I- do you mean you heard on the grapevine? Obviously, some players that have played with him uh, have obviously no, told no, you no, that.
2: No, not, not from any, just that uh, he just wasn't a fan of me. Uh, I don't know if it was true or not. So uh, when so he got the sack uh, and he took over, I just stopped going in because I was only on like, a, 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 basically, a pair as you play. So I knew... Well, I didn't know, but I had to envisage that he didn't like me, uh, and I wasn't going to play anyway. So uh, I just felt uh, it was pointless going in. Uh, I think people, certainly the Blackburn fans, were were just were were, were the with the idea that it was just a pointless signing because I wasn't playing, and uh, I mean I wasn't on much money to be fair. Um, but yeah, it was, I think it was just a, a pointless signing all round to be fair. They probably didn't want me. I only went really because Incy... Uh, and wanted me there, and then got the sack, and uh, I just knew I wasn't going to play, so I just I just never went in.
1: Interesting. Ba- basically,
2: I just basically stayed off.
1: <laughs> and then where did you go? Where did you end up from there? Australia.
2: I went. I went to Australia then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I ended up going to a, a team called North Queensland Fury, uh, who who uh, were a brand new team in the uh, the Australian A League, um, and then uh, one year there that club. Folded a couple of years after I went there. Uh, obviously, not not <laughs> to do omen. with me, Chris. <laughs> no, yeah, not to do with me. I think it was just obviously um, maybe living within the means. The owner was uh, at the time couldn't I know couldn't keep up with the uh, expenditure. Paying the rent, yeah, so paying the rent, I shall say. But um, yeah, I ended up going over to Perth Glory. Uh, obviously, another year in Australia, and then um, yeah, I, I went home. Then i, I was just about to uh, retire uh I, I got offered another year contract in in australia for perth glory and uh my missus was was back in the uk and uh, i went home and i i was ready to pack it in and then out, out of the blue uh, i just got a phone call from uh, the the managing director of uh, montong united in um in uh, just outside bangkok and would have been interested so obviously you do you do your due diligence uh, looked at his club uh, and yeah i ended up going there and yeah. Done all right, you know, scored a few, not not many, but played okay. Uh, we had a, a Portuguese manager who was a bit of a tit, in all fairness. <laughs> uh, in what fact, one thing? of the stories, one of the stories, his name was, um, Enrique Calista, uh, Enrique Enrique Calista, or Calisto, I can't even think actually, but he was, uh, he was a smoker, typical Portuguese where he just used to smoke fags all the time and, um, I went into his room once, and honestly, it was like going into a betting shop in the early 80s, <laughs> late 70s, early 80s, it was just full of smoke. And I was just in there trying to have this conversation, all I was doing was just coughing, and went, I'll have to get out. Boss, I'll have to get out, all I was doing was coughing. Oh, so it was a bit of a nightmare, then he got the sack actually, and then um, I ended up taking over as a player manager. Done alright, to be honest, uh, took over when we were third in the league. We finished third, uh, got to the final of the uh, Thai FA Cup, uh, lost to the league champions one 0 after extra time, uh, and then just just went home. Then uh, obviously to do all the coaching badges, yeah. uh, and then obviously done the, uh, the, the, the 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 A license, uh, the pro license, and then uh, after boots will travel. I ended up. Um, Back over in Australia, a good few years later.
1: Well, there we role. there we have it then, folks. The podcast this week: a tour de force of Robbie Fowler's <laughs> <laughs> latter career. I it's amazing. I think I'm just- I've just bored everyone, there, Chris. haven't I <laughs> we'll, we'll bring them back. Don't you worry, Rob. We'll bring them back. And listen, there's loads to bring them back with. I've got to have a bone with you, though. I've got a bone to pick with you, because I, I'm I'm doing my due diligence for this pod this week, and I see big headlines, newspapers. Should, hang all, on. On. should I should I should I be
2: worried here, Chris? Because you just said you've got a bone to pick with me. I mean, you're uh, six foot ten, aren't you? I, I'm I six foot ten.
1: You. you need to be yeah. worried here, Paul. You should see me. I bench. You see what I bench in the gym. But I, I'm seeing all these uh, articles doing the rounds in the UK this past week over what you. You've been saying in your column in the the Daily Mirror about uh, Liverpool not going to win the league this year. Where's that golden stuff? You've not been giving us that on this podcast.
2: Um, Well, you've not asked me, have you?
1: Are Liverpool winning the league this year?
2: I don't think they will. (laughs) Uh, I mean, look, stranger things have happened. I mean, yeah, stranger things have happened. I mean, you put me on the spot here. Yes, and uh, I, I actually think Liverpool winning the league last year made City angry.
1: Is that what you're going with? And
2: they have just become this team who are unbelievable again. Uh, to be so far ahead, they're in challenging for all cups, uh, Champions League still in, League Cup final, FA Cup still in, uh, all without a, a recognised striker. It's amazing. I, I, just think, I think City are brilliant, and it's it's not me being disrespectful, you know, on Liverpool. I think I just think Liverpool have Liverpool are a great team. They really are, and I know people uh, people want to have a go. At at the minute because they're not playing as well as what they are. It's easy to uh, to stick the knife into them at the minute. Last year when City were X amount of points behind Liverpool, everyone was saying oh it's because Laporte's missing and you know they haven't got a recognised, you know, defender and uh, and it's understandable. Well Liverpool haven't had a, a recognised central defender for I mean for three quarters or maybe nine tenths of the season so far. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's a valid it's a valid reason and I'm not making excuses for Liverpool. I've given you reasons and Jürgen will tell you exactly the same thing. I think Dallas played havoc. Uh if Liverpool had a full strength team, of course Liverpool would be challenging. Uh obviously they haven't. Uh nothing they can do. But City have got gears and they've got levels and he can they can just up upper a notch on a football pitch, as we seen last week in the game against uh, you know, Liverpool and Anfield, where we Liverpool get back into the game one one and it's stand, you think well maybe this game could go either way but then they just put it into second gear and then I mean just ran away with the game uh, and I think what Liverpool have missed more than any club probably in world football Liverpool have missed the fans more than anyone mm. I really believe that um, I think if you look at obviously Manchester United you look at Everton this year both teams who have done well um, and have done well without the fans uh, I think if the fans are there uh, and the fans are you know quick to have a go at times then uh, you see different results i mean it was only the start of the season um you know ancelotti was 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 probably not flavour of the month um no. in terms of the, the in the eyes of a lot of the Everton fans uh, and if the fans were at the game then you know the the stick or the 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 performances would have been highlighted that little bit more uh, and from an Everton point of view uh, thankfully the, the the fans weren't there to you know to get on the back of the the manager get on the back of the, the players, uh, and you know you, you've seen the fruits because they they Everton are playing really well at the minute as well. So, uh, I mean, I mean the fans won't like this, but maybe they have benefited a little bit from uh, from the, having fans. the fans. Whereas, whereas Liverpool, I think, have gone the other way. Liverpool have have really, really come unstuck because they haven't got that that mega support behind them, and we see all the reports coming out that you know the fans or the players are missing the fans. You know, it's, 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 not, it's not a cliche, Chris. It, it, I think it's genuine Generally, yeah. the case.
1: Listen, if, if that's the way you feel, I absolutely 100% respect that. You you say there about Man City and I want to come to them because, of course, special guest of ours on this episode six of the Robbie Fowler podcast brought to you by McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee made simple. We are going to be in conversation with arguably the best midfielder of his generation. That's up for debate. We will maybe debate that in a little bit. Man City, another man who we've had on this podcast, Graham Sunes, tells me... We're not asking the right questions because he's gone viral in the last 48 hours, 72 hours as well because he has said that Phil Foden is the best that Gareth Southgate has in midfield at this moment in time. His performances in recent weeks have been right up there. Are you a fan? Is Phil headed for superstardom, Rob?
2: I think so. Uh, Look, I'm always wary of, of putting players on pedestals. I really am because I think... It's very easy to put them there, but it's it's also very easy to knock them off. And I think with obviously Foden, he, he's he's quietly gone about his stuff. Um, you know, you you think back to his obviously his, his escapades in um, you know in England under 17s winning the World Cup, uh, and then he, that was really when he became known to everyone. Yeah. Everyone knew he, he was a great player. Uh, and 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 to be fair to Pep, Pep has been absolutely magnificent with him. You know, he, he's he's played him when he's needed to uh, he hasn't you know he hasn't run him to, through the ground he's sort of like
1: taking his time he's been patient with him
2: yeah that's what I'm saying so he, he, he's he's not run him into the ground so he's uh, he's let him sort of develop into this play you know he's come in uh, you know and he's had uh, starts he's had games where he's sub uh, he's come on off the bench and he does look an unbelievable player Uh, and obviously his goal last week in particular against Liverpool I mean I I, as a striker what I loved about that goal was and I say this to every player whenever you get maybe half a yard or you know half an inch to, to get a shot away get the shot away because the keeper doesn't get set the keeper doesn't have time to prepare but if you if you move a ball out maybe two yards out and then you're getting set up for the shot. Then the keeper gets set up and he can save it. Uh, but you you see him running at the defender in the box, switches it to the left, uh, maybe a couple of inches, and takes that shot quick. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a brilliant goal, and it. I mean, Allison reacted when the ball was in the back of the net, and and people, some people say, oh, well, maybe the keeper should have done better for that goal. I I disagree. I just think the fact is, that Foden and took the chance as as quick as what as quick as what any striker you'd see you know uh after that chance and you know he he was i thought he was brilliant last week against liverpool he really was uh, and it's not the first time he's been brilliant he is a real real player And he is a player that Quite rightly we can Get excited about
1: Yeah another player Who's famed for that Taking the shot early Is is our very own Mason Greenwood Rob we'll just drop That in now Because Man United Don't get enough love On this pod Uh, I've got to ask you About the midfielders You played with Before we welcome Our very special guest This week Obvious ones there Gaza I know he lit up Obviously the England team Mid 90s I, I remember Gaza In his pomp I guess at Rangers Football Club Coming off the back Of Euro 96 Everyone's got a Gaza story Rob I mean is he a midfielder that, you know, when you look at the very best that you've played with, is he up there?
2: Without a shadow, uh, he's probably the most exciting English player that that we we'll, have we'll probably all seen. In all fairness, I think what he's done, and uh, look, let's forget about his you know his off-field problems, if you like, and and talk about Gaza as a player. You know, he was a player who, who had a little bit of everything. You know, he could he could beat a man, he could control games, he could he could control players around him. Um, he could walk past players for fun, uh, and and you know what he could score goals as well. And he he had a little bit of everything, you know. And and obviously we'll we'll work it out in a bit where we we have the guest on, but this guest who we're going to have on, we'll, we'll name in a sec. I mean, he he's he's got everything in the locker. And you think of the great players in in the Premier League, the likes of your Lampard, the Scholes, um, the Vieiras, the Gerrards, all these great players, they all have different attributes. Uh, but Gazza se- certainly had, for me, he had probably every attribute needed to be a, a great midfielder. He really did.
1: And, of course, off the field, he, he was he was a character as well. Tell me this, Rob, you were in that Euro 96 squad, weren't you?
2: I was, mate, yeah, you, I was. You, uh, you
1: were nowhere near that dentist here, were you?
2: <laughs> On more than one occasion, I shall say, because... <laughs> well, you foot it off with that one. I think... Um, I mean, how that came about. So obviously, before the tournament, we went over to Hong Kong and, and we actually played a game. And I remember all I remember is Dave Watson. Remember Dave Watson who played for Everton. Yeah, he same played against half. Us. Yeah. yeah, he played against us for like an Hong Kong eleven. Uh, and I mean, I can't even think of the, the score. Actually, it might have been one or two nil. So it probably wasn't a greatest performance. Um, but all I remember is like we, we were allowed to, to go on a night out because we'd, we'd been away for a for a week or so. Uh, and we were potentially going to be uh, away for for a month or so with this with this tournament, and uh, we went over there, and we, and we were allowed a night out.
1: Can I uh, can and, I jump uh, in here and ask Rob? You were allowed a night out. Was Roy Evans there with his shirt on? Roy Evans was Roy Evans. Remember episode one? You told us the greatest <laughs> the greatest story <laughs> ever of Roy Evans. Ping! Let's hit yeah, the Ro- town, Ro- lads. Ro- Ro-
2: but I tell you, was there, and. Uh, he, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get. Brian Robson was um, Brian Robson was obviously an England coach. Yes, he was. And he yeah. he was with us. And I, I remember being out. <laughs> we we all had this like Umbro gear on with um, obviously the you know the England collective wear that we all we all had on. And we were all at this this night out. And the, the, what was I trying to think? of the night the nightclub? It was called the Jump Jump Bar. I think it might have been called. <laughs> so we're all in there, and Brian Robson's. Um, He's in there, up. So we've all, got, as I said, we've all got the like the England tracksuits on, the England t-shirts and the England polo shirts on. And I, th- I think it was Gaza. I think Gaza started off and he started pulling someone's t-shirt and it just ripped everywhere. And all of a sudden, every player's t-shirt and polos just been ripped off. And uh, Brian Robson was there, and Brian Robson just went, "No, no, no, not He was the only one who had like a." F- <laughs> A Versace polo, so you can imagine he, he's there as like a, a as as a coach, and he's there because someone had someone had ripped his Versace top, and it was just angled on by. I mean, Brian Robson's just immaculate, isn't he? And it was just angled on by by his top button, and everyone else's tops ripped to shreds. And we had a few more drinks, and then all of a sudden, this this dentist chair was was thrust upon us. And I think every player did have a go, and we've all seen it, like the I think the infamous pictures were with Gazza and Teddy and. And Mac, you're pouring a shots into uh, into into the mouths. But um, yeah, we, we all we all had to go. Uh-huh. We all had to go. Some some more than others. <laughs> but you know, but it you, but it was the catalyst of a, of a, a good tournament actually. Because uh, I mean, obviously you being a big England fan as well as a Liverpool fan, <laughs> you'll uh, I mean you you'll know. I think obviously that tournament and obviously we we did play Scotland. But what I remember most about the tour was it was quite relaxed. You know, we we had the hotel to ourselves. It was obviously just us, and we had free run. And the television crew had a a, a man-made studio, if you like, in the in the back of the the, uh, the back of the hotel in the gardens. And whenever they were live at night, myself and gaza would be out in the garden doing car- cartwheels. <laughs> if you can imagine, you you look at the studio, and there was a. There was this big, uh, big window, and in the back of the window there was a, this big white hotel, uh, and then all of a sudden you just see these these silhouettes in the background doing cartwheels, and I think it was Jack Charlton actually. Someone tried to make a big thing about it, and Jack Charlton just said, oh, "I just put the boys having a laugh," and that was me and with doing cartwheels <laughs> on the front lawn of this uh, of the Burnham Beaches Hotel.
1: Oh, it's brilliant. I didn't expect to go there. A Euro 96, I don't have fond memories of that whatsoever, but Gaza, that was a tournament. You,
2: you, you probably all not have a lot of fond memories for a lot of tournaments. Chris,
1: no, not, not at all, mate. It's been a while. 1998 was the last time we made a major tournament, but that's all going to change next summer. We're going to win it. Yep. We're in England's group. I think we are as well, aren't Scotland? So Gaza, Gaza, we're not going to win it, Rob, before you say anything, <laughs> before you say a jot. Gaza up there, in terms of club, and I'm conscious this guy's waiting, so we don't want to keep on too much longer, our guest this evening. Uh, I've got to ask you, though, give me your semblance from a Premier League standpoint. Who was the Premier League midfielder that stood out?
2: Well, look, I, th- I think the obvious ones are obviously Steve and Gerrard, who, who I played with for, for a number of years. For me, he, he is the pick out, out, out of a great bunch. Uh, I mean, Paul gold was brilliant. Lampard was was unreal, uh, and and then you go back as far as the, the likes of Vieira and uh, you know Petit, who were uh, you know instrumental in. Come on, Rob. Uh,
1: Come on, Rob. You've not mentioned the the, the captain. You've not I, mentioned.
2: I, I know. I, I give us a minute, Chris. You know, I'm just talking about the Arsenal uh, pairing of uh, Petit and Vieira. But I mean, obviously yourself being a being a huge Man U fan. You know, go on. I will admit it. I will admit it. Um, I mean, obviously Keane. Keane. Keane was brilliant for you boys, wasn't he? I think uh, he was a player that I, I would have loved to have played with. Actually, you know the way he is, the way he was demanded on the pitch. Um, he probably can get a little bit more out of players. Did we need it? Did we need that type of player? Maybe yes. he did. You know, but maybe it's all. Maybe it's all hypothetical. What type of player we needed, but maybe he could have been, or that type of player could have been the. Um, you know the 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 catalyst, if you like, to uh, take us to a to a new level. Uh, but look, yeah, we we had we had great players. Uh, I mean, one player who, who probably not many people will will recognise as a centre midfielder would be John Barnes. Mm. John Barnes, everyone will remember for this marauding left winger who was unbelievable, you know, skipping past players and putting you know wonderful crosses in for the likes of Aldridge, Beasley and Rush. All these great players. Uh, but when I played with him, he was he was a little bit older, and he used to run games in centre midfield. Uh, and I thought he was brilliant. I mean, I, I, we were lucky enough with uh, with Barnes. Michael Thomas was was excellent. Jamie Ednap was, was brilliant as well. Uh, he goes under he goes under a lot of radars. Jamie, um, his passing his passing was brilliant. I mean, I, I, I feel a bit dingy here because I've not mentioned the likes of Ronnie Whelan, who was probably the most one of the most underrated players I think I've probably ever witnessed in all fairness for what he used to do on a pitch. Uh, Jan Molby was was incredible. Uh, now, they're just the players I played with, but I mean the, the likes of Scholes, he was brilliant. Scolzi was he was something else, wasn't he? Scholes, he? Well,
1: I mean, was he? I continue to have debates on, on Scolzi. Obviously, I think he was, but a lot of people will tell you Stephen Gerrard is the far better player. And, and maybe you will tell me that. Scolzi was... Unbelievable. He was right up there.
2: Look, if, if you were to sort of sit me down here and say um, who's the best out of all them players, and I'm, I'm saying Steven Gerrard all day long. It's a, it's a debate and everyone will have their opinions and everyone will have their reasons why. I mean, I've, I've sort of grew up with Steven, if you like, in terms of uh, when he got in the side and uh, going back to Liverpool and then you see a different Steven Gerrard uh someone who was more more experienced and someone who, who could control the games a little bit more. With a Scholes, he played a game at whatever pace he wanted a player. Uh you know, he had the ability to find passes, uh he had the the abilities to he he, he did control games, Skullsy. Um, you know, and however he wanted to play, he he was just so relaxed around a you know, around a football and he made the game look easy. He really did. Uh, And, you know, being a... I mean, I didn't play that many times for England, but, you know, the few times I did play, uh, he he is one of them players that you you can, as a forward, get excited about playing in front of. Uh, But, you know, I mean, if you were to sort of sit me down here, and and I know you are, it's about picking the players who I played with. uh, I mean, I don't think anyone comes close to uh, Stevie G. Stevie G is, is... is... is levels. I mean, he is... I mean, you talk about world-class footballers, and maybe world-class footballers do get mentioned a little bit too much this year. But Stephen was the architectural world-class player; he really was.
1: Stephen, and then Scholesy.
2: Yeah, and look, you, you mentioned Lamps as well. That Lamps. i mean, you, you can't not mention him in them in that category as well, just for the for the amount of goals as a, as a midfielder he scored.
1: I see what you're doing here, Rob. You just mention as many players as you can, and we'll all get them on the podcast. I like your style. <sighs> I like this yeah. style well,
2: well well, maybe I need to start mentioning a few about you <laughs> made to take this from United players all right, but you know what funny enough it's it, I mean you talk about international football there, and um England've always been graced with i think really really good midfield players, but they 've always had the problem about maybe fitting players into into certain positions yeah uh, and that 's been the case with England you know they have had great players, but I don't think any managers really seen the the benefits of playing them all together. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a, a great great chat and a great argument that we we could probably sit all night and talk to talk to to each other about
1: Well, we will and we'll return to this on a future edition of the Robbie Further podcast. The reason we've got to cut this short is because well our very special guest uh, today uh, on this pod is ready and waiting for us and he is a man who actually had a, at a time had the problem that you've just said there fitting into a system for England he is one of the best midfielders of his generation I'll allow you to introduce this man because you've just said it Rob he's the best midfielder that you've ever seen or ever played with
2: Yes uh, I mean I, I will I mean I, I will put Stevie Mac into a um, into into a category there as well I mean last, last week we were lucky enough to have um, the, the king obviously Sir Kenneth Aglisian uh, whenever you talk about the greatest players that have ever wore a Liverpool shirt, obviously Sir Kenny is, is arguably the best. But certainly the, the next guest that we'll have on would run him close as the greatest ever Liverpool player. And it's none other than Stephen Gerrard.
1: This is the Robbie Fowler Podcast.
2: Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's McCafe. Great tasting coffee. Simple.
1: Dubai Eye
0: 103.8.
2: How are you, Steve? Okay, pal? Am I on mute or can you hear me boys? I can hear you mate, can you hear us?
0: Yeah, all clear, all clear. How are we, all good? All good mate, yourself? Yeah, not bad mate, one sec.
2: I thought you were stripping off there, Steve. going on? Get your muscles out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: How
2: long have we got you for, Steve? 30 minutes, 40 minutes?
0: Yeah, yeah. sounds. just crack on. Where are you, Rob? Are you over in India or? I-
2: India mate, yeah. Oh yeah. Can you tell by my red face, I'm... Boiling hot today. I just thought you might be at home. I can see the there in the
0: background. <laughs>
2: no, that's just it. Uh, I mean, they, they they'll probably stick them on the top of the car, can't I? The uh, the, the dice, the roly dice.
0: Yeah. Where's your Puma kings in
2: that? Oh I have well got my I'm a, I'm a Nike man now, aren't I? Oh, yeah. Stay. You know, after the uh, give us 30-40 uh, minutes, and if you're if you're bored and you want to go, just stick your hand up or just change and we'll and we'll um we'll Scroll just get leave. you after.
0: Scroll yeah. Bottom right corner, <laughs> I
2: know, yeah. <laughs> Just do that, that might be better.
0: No, let's work. what are we on now? Quarter past, I've got something on at three, so I've got 45 minutes there to, to yeah. get done. Fantastic, Great. Steve. Yeah, all right, mate. Well,
2: listen, can, can we start then, Steve? Yeah, so, um, obviously, thanks for joining us, mate, and obviously, pleasure. We've had some unbelievable good guests on. We've had Jurgen, we've had Sir King Kenny, uh, and obviously yourself, so all proper proper Liverpool legends we just wanted to get you some some highs some lows uh, and just to generally get a, a good feel of of how you are enjoyed management you know how how you've how you've evolved in the three years at at Rangers and the difference between you know going from under 18 level uh, yeah. straight into the the
0: adult world if you like okay okay well that's good company i've obviously kept an eye on the on the first few and had a little look into them as well they were really good but it's good to be in good company so yeah fire ahead go on i'm all yours
1: Yeah, let's just start there, Stephen. Obviously, I saw you in Dubai, January of last year. Rangers Football Club, massive club. Graham's already given me a telling off as just how big the football club is. How is it all going? How, How do you feel you have, just to pick up on what Robbie said there, how do you feel you have evolved as a man, as a manager since going up north of the border?
0: Well, first and foremost, you're right. It is a massive club, obviously. Um, like a lot of people down south, you look at the, the old-fame clubs from afar and you realize the the two individually really big clubs and you hear a lot about the old-fame. You watch a lot of games on the TV. You realise they've both got incredible fan bases. But until you're actually in this, in terms of being in this position and you're working for the club, uh, you really realise the intensity and the magnitude of the club, the following it's got, and... Um, and you obviously get a big feel for the, the pressure pressurized environment that we're working under. Um, I'm really enjoying the journey so far. We're obviously in a fantastic place uh, sitting here right now. Uh, that hasn't always been the case. It has been a journey and a process. We've had some lows and some tough days along the way as well, but I think you'd have to sometimes go through them days, um, uh, to grow and evolve, especially being a new group together. Um, but I think we're at around 31, 32 months into the job now. And, um, We've obviously improved an awful lot, and now we've got to go and try and finish the season uh, as strong as we can to make sure that this season and the journey so far becomes a success.
2: Steve, Steve, was you was you aware of how? I know you you just mentioned before how big the old firm teams are. Was you aware of just how big they were? Or when you got in the door, did you realise they were they were actually bigger than what you envisaged? Or
0: well, I'll, I'll take you back to when I played for Liverpool and uh, I obviously, on the bucket list, was always to go to an old-firm game. Uh, I've been with the same agent since I was 18, 19, Marshall, who is a big Rangers fan and he's obviously Scottish-born. Um, so I, I heard a lot of stories and, and you hear him talking about the size of the clubs and the size of the old-firm and what it would be like if they managed to get down south and become part of the Premier League. Everyone speaks about it and has done for many years. And so I wanted to come up and sample it for myself. And I went to old firms at Celtic Park. I went to old firms at Rangers. So in terms of the magnitude of an old firm game and the size of the clubs and the support and the noise and the atmosphere, I was well aware of it before I took the job. But, you know, everyone who's, who loves football is involved in it, you don't realise until you're actually in a certain position that you feel the real intensity of a club, um, the demands of a club, the expectation. Obviously, sitting down with the board, with the chairman and the directors, um, and you really talk about the values of the club and what it stands for. You speak to previous managers. I obviously have had many conversations with Graeme Souness, with Walter Smith, people who've worked here before, ex-players who've been here and represented the club. Um, This club will go toe-to-toe with with any club uh, in Britain in terms of size and following, um, and also in terms of the demands from the club, because... Uh, we, we played at a club, Robbie, where you know it draws a disaster, it draws a defeat <laughs> in, in many ways. And that's yeah. it's exactly the same here representing Rangers. Um, it's not acceptable to draw a football match. And, um, you know, so I knew what I was signing up for. I knew what I came into. And um, that's what I missed, really, when I stopped playing. I missed that intensity and that responsibility of the daily routine. And I've got it now, uh, for sure. It's very similar in terms of the demands at Rangers as it was as a player at Liverpool.
2: So obviously, stay, So I like I know what type of player he was, and I, I used that type of manager as well, which is obviously it's, it, it is that winner all cost, and it's because you've been brought up. I mean, you just mentioned it yourself about obviously if you if you draw, you know that's classed as a defeat because you, you you're that ingrained in winning anyway. So yeah. I, how how are you when you do get beat? I know you haven't had many of them this season, but
0: you know <laughs> I think I think from a personal point of view, obviously you. you, you early on in the questions you mentioned about how have I evolved and uh, how have I tried to grow in this role and stuff and that's one area that I've tried to focus a lot on in terms of being more balanced Um, you know at times I've got myself a little bit too down at times at times I've got myself up too much Um, but that's what type of person I am I am I do try and live the emotions I do try and be authentic I try to play that way and play on the edge so I don't want to change too much but I think in this role, without to grow into and get better at it, is being balanced around results because um, it's important that you don't sometimes show the players or people around the club how you're feeling all the time. So after a defeat or a draw, if, if it doesn't feel good and everyone's feeling bad about themselves, you know, I can't be sulking around the place and, and, and show that on my face and my behaviour. I've got to, you know, try and play a different game than most of the club and Um, you know try and move on to the next challenge as quick as we can and try and stay in the most balanced place that can be in how have
1: you Stephen implemented and, and how do you cultivate a winning mentality it's well documented Celtic nine in a row Rangers have been on their knees as a as a football club in recent years you've come in there you've had to change a lot of players you brought in a lot of your players how do you go about resetting the culture talk us through that process as a football manager
0: Well, I think first and foremost, you're right. What you say, it is a process. I think you've got to understand that was not and we were going to change overnight or in weeks and months. Um, I think the the key to all this was the conversations I had with the chairman and the board and the managing director to say, look, let's be realistic. Where are we as a club? Where is the club at? How big's the gap? What's it going to take to bridge the gap? Uh, How long have I got to, to bridge the gap? You know, is this going to be a case of coming in And the first bit of pressure or the first challenge or the first bump in the road, you know, are are people going to be knee-jerk and be rash in terms of decisions? Or does everyone understand that it's going to be a process, it's going to take time, we're going to need a certain amount of windows, there's going to have to be personnel change? Because for me, a culture is about people, people who you recruit, people who you keep, um, people who are prepared to change. Uh, people who are prepared to reset and share the challenge and the journey with you. And that's what we've tried to do. We've tried to look at all them different departments, but the key to it all for me has been the backing of the board and the chairman because they've been true to the word. And um, when we have had a bit of a rough spell or a rough patch, I've had not 100% backing. Um, The majority of what I've asked for, if not everything that I've asked for in terms of trying to change personnel and being backed, obviously, obviously, when we're after a certain play of a certain role, there is restrictions in terms of how much you can spend and how much you can go on the wages. Um, but in the main, I've had fantastic backing and support, and that's certainly played a massive part in getting us to where we are today.
2: Steve, you've spoken in the past about not really, not really identifying with one particular philosophy... Why? Why is that? And and obviously, what is your message to the players with that? Is it do you just sign players because they're great players, or do you want players to come in and fit into a system that you want to play, or do you fit the, the players around that system?
0: Yeah, I, I think I think in, ter- in 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 terms of recruitment, we we obviously have player profiles for each role within how we play, and we've obviously favoured a certain system over the other systems, but we have tried to adapt and change within game um, or if we come up against a certain opponent, we change. I, I, I get asked this question a lot and in terms of philosophy, I think what's important for me is to not nail myself to one philosophy and make a liar out of myself because I think it all depends on what your job is, where you're working, what league you're working in. So for example, this was my first job at Rangers. If for example, my philosophy was uh, a low block, hard to play against, and we, we sit back um, and, we, and we soak it up and play on the counter. That, that doesn't work in every game. So for me, a, a philosophy, we have a culture and we have a set of non-negotiables and everyone lives by them. And obviously in my head, I want to play a certain way, which is to have a really tough team to play against, really aggressive team, really organised. We move around the pitch together and we own the pitch. And obviously, you want to play in a style where the fans get entertained and you score goals and you're creative and and all this. That's how you see it in your head. But what happens if you're playing a team, for example, like Porto or Benfica, who've got more expensive players than you, players with more experience, players who, you know, maybe player for player are operating on a different level than you. You know, I can't go and approach that game the way I'd approach, for example, a game at home against a team at the bottom of the league in the SPL. So... It's having, having a philosophy and a way of playing and how you want it to look, but also being able to adapt from game to game to what that game needs.
1: Can I ask, Steve, you, you've obviously played under so many great managers. You, you go through the list, similar to, to Rob. You look at Gerard Huley, you look at Rafa Benitez, Brendan Rogers as well. If you were to, to take all those managers, Fabio Capello, Sven and Eriksson from an England perspective, who's the manager that had the biggest impact on you?
0: As a player? As a a player, Rafa Benitez, without a shadow of a doubt, I think Julier was that father figure for me when I first came into the team. And he helped, obviously, uh, sort of change the profile of me in terms of size and being able to cope with the demands. He introduced me to being uh, an elite player in terms of your standards on and off the pitch. And he gave me my opportunity. So he played a major role at the beginning. uh, And he held me hand through the the stages where you're raw and and you're trying to find yourself as a player rafa sort of took me game from a tactical and, and technical point of view to the next level i.e learnt me what it means to play in part of a team tactics to be in a low block to slide to to be aggressive to be responsible in your position and he also changed the, my role he, he learned me how to play the game with me back to goal i.e being a number 10 behind the number nine um so I'd say them two, from a Liverpool point of view, played the, the biggest part. In terms of management, I've tried to be a sponge and, and, and steal and learn all different things from all the managers I've played for. You know, in, um, not just, you know, you look at Julier and, and Benitez, they were really compact managers, hard to play against. Roy Hodgson, the same. Uh, Capello, very similar, where it's about your organisation and your shape. And I've tapped into loads of that education, throughout this Rangers journey especially in Europe and the top games that we play domestically um, at the same time I've stole stuff from Brendan Rodgers from um, you know other managers Sven Gordon Eriksson them type of people in terms of the style how it looks in terms of playing through the lines building from the back and um, I think it's important to be yourself when you're in these roles and do it your way but I've worked with top managers and top coaches so I'd be a fool not to try and steal and use their expertise as well to, for my benefit
2: Steve does, does man management play a, a huge part of your your role as well Massive it, it, would you say because I'm, I'm a big believer in man management more than anything so you've just mentioned that the likes of Rafa the likes of Gerard Hule who technically and tactically were as good as anyone I've ever seen but like the man management was was not superb, but I, I enjoyed playing managers who used to sort of take you under wing and, and get you to go out there and express yourself that little bit more.
0: Yeah, I think Hulley was really skilled. He knew when to provoke, but when also to put his arm round you. And um, I think he was a bit more forceful with the more experienced players, i.e. yourself and Paul Ince. And he was probably a bit more firmer with, with you guys. I got a, a lot more man management off Hulley, probably because of my age. Yeah. Um, and he obviously seen me at an age where he can have a big impact on me. I think um, with some managers, they're clever because they put other people around them to help them with the man management, the good cop, bad cop situation. For me, man management's not just being nice to a player all the time and giving them hugs and telling them he's great and blowing smoke. That That's not man management for me. For me, it's about being honest and building that relationship and having that respect and knowing when to provoke a player and when a player needs his arm around them because at the end of the day, they're all human. They're all different. They've all got a different role to play in terms of contributing towards the team. And as a manager, it's about getting to know them players, what makes them tick, what provokes them. Um, When did they need some love? When did they need a little bit of a, you know, me to you, eye contact to say, come on, I need a bit more. And um, it's just trying to get them relationships right throughout your team and your squad. If you do, you normally get a healthy culture around the place.
1: I speak to a lot of Rangers fans, Stephen, and, and, and still there's a bit of... I guess there's a bit of a kind of uncertainty around you in the sense that not many people can pigeon you into what kind of manager you are. Are you a tracksuit, whistle and mouth on a Monday to Friday? Are you someone that likes to step back? And I always reference Brendan Rodgers, it was, when he was over here in Dubai. He said the best piece of advice he's ever been given was from Sir Alex. He said the sooner you can get your coaching staff to understand what you want, exactly what you want and take a step back, the sooner you can really get to work in the managerial job. is that a philosophy is that an idea that resonates with you
0: I think there's a few things that are important to discuss here obviously when you're taking a job it's important you put the right people around you in terms to complement your skill set you've got to self analyse yourself where you're at what are you good at what's your skill set and then work out what you need around you to to make a really effective uh, and a good coaching team Uh, I believe I've got that here Um, In terms of taking a back step, I'm not ready to take a back step. I think when you're more experienced and you've maybe been in the role for many, many years, maybe with age, you feel like that's the right decision. Um, What I'll never do is try and do someone else's job better than them who's better than me at doing that job. Um, So, for example, um, I'd been working on a coaching team behind the scenes when I was the manager of Liverpool's under-18s and 19s for some time. People wouldn't believe how close I was watching certain people to take with me when the opportunity eventually came. Um, Now, I haven't had the luxury of retiring early uh, from the game or not being a player in terms of having that pitch time and to really become a coach who's coached for 20 years, i.e. a Brendan Rodgers, a Mourinho, a a Michael Beal, who's my first team coach here. Now, it'd take me 15, 20 years to get as good as Michael Beal as an on-pitch coach. To deliver sessions on a, on a daily basis, so I let Mick be Mick Beal because he's the expert, he's got the skill set. But what I, what I do is I make sure I'm here for every session. I make sure I'm in the middle of every session. I make sure I step in if I feel like I need to step in. If I need to take a part of the session, I'll take part of the session. I'm always around the team shape how I want it to look in possession, out of possession. But what I won't do is overtake everyone and stand on people's toes. And then the players, by the time Saturday three o'clock comes, they're sick of me voice, the sick of me face. And after six months, no players want to play for you. So it's that understanding uh, what, what are my skill sets? How does that work in the, in the weekly routine and schedule? And where does everyone else fit around that to make sure that we've got the right pieces in the right places? And I, I must say, my staff have been incredible for me. Um that they've been here every single session they've they've lived the journey with me I've got total belief and confidence in them um, and I see this as a relationship and a group for for a long time if that's what they want as well but f- for me as a manager I, I never want to step on anyone's toes and do their job or try and do their job better than them if they're better than me at doing it
2: I, I totally agree with that because I'm, I'm a bit less similar to myself actually I have obviously my coach over here who I let him sort of run all the sessions and I come in and put in when I
0: need to uh, mm. but I-, I always felt Robbie as a manager that was really effective for me um, so you know I, I like managers like Rafa Rafa didn't do it all Hulia didn't do it all but when they did it was like oh wow you know this is the the important part of the week this is the information the vital information that we need to preparation for the game Um I think some managers that try and do you know the warm-ups the, the rondos the possessions the running blah 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 eventually you end up getting sick and tired of the voice and you know that's when they can become a little bit style
2: yeah, I agree with that Steve can, can I take you back to obviously when you were a player at Liverpool so everyone always goes on about you know how good of a player you was and obviously what you've achieved and what you've won and what you've basically what you've achieved in a Liverpool shirt now everyone always mentions like Istanbul in the 2005 would you is that your greatest achievement in terms of football?
0: Uh, yeah I think it's the most popular in terms of you know obviously winning the Champions League is, is a unique moment um, especially as captain coming from Liverpool being the local lad it, it's obviously one of the most favourite moments in my career without, without a doubt but I think when you look back at it all and you analyse it all, obviously, my debut was one of the biggest days of my life. You know, I'd sat on the cop, I'd been on the main stand, I'd watched you for many, many years. When I first walked into the dressing room at Melwood was a, was a big day. You know, there's tons and tons of massive moments and pivotal moments throughout your career. It's not just about Istanbul, but I think a lot of people... Obviously, put the connection together because it was me—the highlight of me creative life. Yeah,
2: Stephen. The, the the reason I'm asking you that is because when I, when I think of you and as much as look, I I know you're an unbelievable player. That that Champions League final doesn't really resonate with me because I resonate the 2006 FA Cup final. Yeah. Because I I think what you would what you'd done in that game was just. I mean, it was proper Royal Rovers. I mean, for everyone who doesn't know, Steven scored a, a last-minute equaliser from about 35 yards. And I don't, oh. honestly don't think anyone else could have done that. And that was, that was you grabbing a team. I hated what you did the year before in the Champions League final. That was you grabbing a team who were you know were dead on their feet. And everyone was shattered. And then you just came alive in, in the last minute and scored this unbelievable goal. And, and I loved that more than the Champions League final.
0: I, yeah, I think I think if you're talking about uh, a ninety-minute performance, uh, what's your favourite performance when, for example, it, it just happened and it's difficult to describe because you know yourself, Robbie, when you play at that level where you've played well, it's almost like on autopilot. So you look at the two thousand and six performance; that's probably one of my one of my, if not the best performance over ninety minutes. Um, you know, that was probably the performance that shocked myself when you don't even realise you've got that in your locker, to be honest. Well, um, obviously, the, the first half in Istanbul didn't get a kick, chasing shadows, you're, you're up against that diamond in midfield, you, you can't get near them. I, I got spun by Kaka for for, for one of the goals, the Crespo one, the little dink. A lot of things went wrong in Istanbul for me, from a personal point of view. Um, me and the team, we were nowhere near it in the first half. Um but it's about the outcome. <laughs> and yeah, if you're talking about outcomes and, you know, worldwide uh, audiences, obviously Istanbul and the Champions League are the, as a much world audience rather than just an FA Cup final, even though the FA Cup final is massive to us, especially here in England. Um, so I think it, it comes down to the magnitude of the game and the outcome of the game. So Istanbul will always be the biggest. But if you're talking about a 90-minute performance... 2006 was much better for sure I've got yeah. to take
1: I've got to take you back there Steve in 2005 it's a question you've had probably a million times but I want to hear it from, from you I, wanted, I want to transport you back there you've said you've had a nightmare of a, an opening 45 you're 3-0 down for goodness sake where are you mentally at that point because the, the Roy of the Rover stuff that Rob talks about you're going into that dressing room Rafa well documented the change the little alteration he makes with DD coming on take us back there what was said what was said amongst the players in order to inspire that second half performance.
0: Well, I think I think first and foremost in, in this situation, for me personally, a bit, a bit of fear has kicked in. A bit of fear of embarrassment, of of failure, of not not getting out of this game or this, the, the, you know, this um, this time what what you're prepared for and what you'd put into it. So there's a bit of fear kicking in from a personal point of view. You felt like you'd let everyone down. Now, when you go into a dressing room, you've got a group of men who are all emotional at that moment. They're all flat, they're all down, they're full of regret. Um, So that's basically painting the picture of the initial first couple of minutes of the session. Rafa asked us to rest and and be calm. Most managers give you a couple of minutes to gather your thoughts. Players are speaking to each other, but we'd had a couple of injuries and a couple of knocks as well. So to describe the first few minutes, it was chaos. (laughs) It was chaos emotionally. And we obviously, if we were true to ourselves, thought it was over and the game was gone and and dead and buried. But a few things stick in my mind, a bit of fear kicking in, a bit of hurt, a bit of pain, and obviously realising that the fans were still with us, which is quite unusual. The Liverpool fans are fantastic, but throughout my career, I've never known the Liverpool fans to still be with us when we've been 3-0 down. So if that was at Anfield, for example, or Goodison or Old Trafford or Stamford Bridge, if you're 3-0 down at half-time, they would let you know about it. But I think there was an appreciation of the journey that we were punching above our weight, that on paper, AC Milan were the favourites for the game. And sometimes in football, you've got to be honest and go, well, we were outclassed and outplayed. And that's the way it was at half-time. Rafa got calm. He spoke extremely well. He had his moments and he'd done his little changes tactically. He, he made a big emphasis on trying to get the next goal. Um, and he reminded us about the fans and, and that type of stuff and then you know people are off doing bits and bobs and then the last 30 seconds 45 seconds before we went out as captain I felt like it was my time and my moment to to, to you know say the last couple of things in terms of a rally cry to, to play for a bit of pride do what we can to get back in the game and you know if we are going to get beat let's leave a mark on them let's you know let's not have it how it was for the first half we were too passive we weren't organised enough and we were outclassed
2: Steve, so, you know you, you've just obviously mentioned there. You mentioned before about obviously the 2006, where you know you you, you won that game, uh, eventually winning it. That game uh, against uh, Milan, you, you're getting spun for Perlo for the you know for one of the goals. I mean, Paul Konchesky is not going to spin you <laughs> for a <the> goal against. <laughs>
0: he still says he means that he still, that says, he that. He still <laughs> says he means that cunt <laughs>
2: great finish by the way oh, it was it was to be fair but Steve just going back to obviously your Liverpool days again so when um, I mean you, you have played with some unbelievable players uh, but so you think of the, the old 0708 with uh, with Torres and then you think of 2013-14 uh, with, uh, with Luis Suarez C- compare the, the contrast of, of those players and Bit of an horrible question is if you could pick one of them just to play with for the rest of your career, who would who would it have been?
0: Yeah, I'll come to that last bit of the question, and I will put my neck on the line and pick one. But I think I think with strikers, if you look at my journey throughout from say ninety eight. To, to, to the year I left, I played with some magnificent strikers. I played with you, obviously. You, you'd you had your peak before Whoa. I came in. You'd, Whoa, you'd steady, on, steady on, fella. Steady on, fella. You'd had your knee injury. Uh, but obviously, I was a season ticket holder from the age of 18 to 23 with you. And without blowing smoke, obviously, that is world-class level. Then I came into Michael Owen, for example, who from when he scored the goal with England. I played with Michael Owen in his peak years as well. And as a midfielder, he was a dream for me, you know, wanting to play balls in behind. He was very quick. He had that blistering pace and he could finish as well when he got in. Um, after that, then I, I comes into the, the, the Torreses of this world. Um, now, the reason I always talk about Torres and Suarez is because I, I felt like I was in my prime at that time. So I played with you when I was very young. I was still raw. I was still developing. Um, I played with Michael Owen where I was a little bit further on but I still didn't feel like I was in my peak years I was still getting a few injury niggles and um, you know still finding my me, me feet and my profile if you like but I bumped, bumped into Torres and Suarez at, at a perfect time more Torres really because I'm in the peak years you know you're talking uh, around about that 2006, 7 and 8 years where I, I felt like you know I could go against anyone on the pitch it didn't matter who it was you know, Vieira, Scholes, Lampard, blah, blah, all, all world-class top players, but I, I felt like I could face anyone at that time. I felt like I was in my peak. So I always go back to Torres and Suarez because they're my best memories of how I felt from a personal point of view. But if you look at Fowler, Owen, Torres, Suarez, Sturridge, <sighs> uh, even Coutinho to a certain extent, playing with that level of player as a midfielder is, is an easy job for me because that is top-class world level. I'm not saying that because I'm on this podcast with you have said it many times before. But I've got a, re- a regret with you is that I never played with you from 18 to 23. I never played at Michael Owen longer uh, prior to the Leeds injury. I never played for Torres long enough because he went to Chelsea and broke my heart. And I probably come into Suarez as I'm just coming out of my peak years, even though I really enjoyed that relationship. So all strikers are different. They've all got different styles and and different qualities um but all of them names were a dream for me because the movement uh, the hunger to score goals the relationship they tried to have with me in terms of being on the same wavelength Um, so it's very difficult to pick one but i'd say if you'd ask me who was the the best player on a daily basis consistently i'd say suarez is an animal out of all them but my best years were alongside torres in terms of how I felt. You
1: you said there, Stephen, it broke your heart. I don't know if that was tongue-in-cheek or not, but when you got news that that Liverpool had made the decision to sell him, was it genuinely like that? Were you absolutely gutted?
0: Really, really gutted, yeah. Um, Obviously, uh, we're working so hard at this point to try and get as close as we can and close the gap and challenge and, You know, at Liverpool around that time, you'd always felt like you were taking huge strides and getting closer and progressing really well and then at a really key time and a key moment for the team and the group, uh, a big player gets sucked away from that and it takes time to recover from that. And, um, you know, my relationship with Torres, I was getting a lot of goals at that time. Um, I was in my peak, I was feeling fantastic. Listen, I understand everyone's situation is different. People have different dreams and different paths and not everyone's a local lad who... Who loves the club. I appreciate and respect all that. But at the same time, it still hurts when someone leaves a club. I've I've told Fernando that. I tried to get him to stay. I told his agent the same. But they made a decision and that decision was out of my hands but yeah it hurt very
1: bad see, see that Stephen you actually picked up the phone to Fernando and his agent to say don't do this stay we'll win stuff here I no I
0: didn't have to pick the phone up they were both at Melwood <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that is brilliant that is great stay, insight. Just
2: to, stay, stay just to go back there so you know before we asked you that question I actually didn't want you to bring because I knew the answer there straight away but I didn't want to get mentioned in them because I didn't want to let myself down, so when I said who's the best player you've ever played with striker, I only said Suarez or Torres. So just take me <laughs> out of that equation. <laughs> I don't, I
0: don't want to look bad. Say you know. Well, what, what I'm saying to you is, for example, if if your 18 to 23 form met met my peak years, I'd I'd, I'd, I'd quite be excited by that. For example, you know what I mean. You know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we,
2: we could have been like uh, Rushy and Kenny, couldn't we?
0: Well, I play. I played with Sturridge, for example. Sturridge would have been, obviously, in his peak years, but I'm 33, 34, so I can't get box to box. I can't run off him anymore. I'm more dropping back into a number six and more of a playmaker from deep type role. Um, and Daniel Sturridge is so, so talented. Unbelievably talented, but, you know, his career was at a different stage to mine. And I think with a midfielder and a striker, if you can get that when they're both in the peak years, that's when yeah. you have your, your best memories. So, for example... Stevie McMahon, Steve McManaman would pick you for example because you were both in your peak you're getting 30 plus goals a season he's getting double figures from midfield you can see that chemistry that relationship that's no different to me and Torres but at a different stage and yeah. I think that's very important when you're talking about an attacking midfielder and a number 9 it's about yeah. that
2: relationship. Well, that's what the relationship. We could have been like the uh, the, the Kenny and Rushy of the modern day era. Could we? I mean, obviously <laughs> without the big nose and the moustache, they, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: definitely had the big nose, is
2: not they? Steve, <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. so, before you mentioned obviously some of the players that you played against, uh, like the Vieira, Keane, Scholes, Lampard. Who, who was, in your opinion, the best or the toughest opponent you played with against, against sorry, out of those names?
0: You never mentioned Zidane or Guardiola or Raquelmi or I'm, you know, I'm
2: talking Premier
0: League, Steve. Yeah, you know, Premier League, OK. <laughs> well, look, you're talking about all of them are world-class in, in their own right, all very different, all got different attributes. And um, you obviously had to adapt your game depending on which one of them you were playing against. Um I'd rather play against Vieira than Keane, for example, because you know they're going to be in front of you. For example, the top midfielders, really strong, work hard and try and kill you with the pass, and Vieira to try and run past you now and again. Um, but for me, the most dangerous midfielders are the ones that run off your shoulder and run into the box, so you always have to be on your guard even more when you play against Scholes and Lampard, but the different types of midfielder. Um, very difficult to pick one out of them because Lampard's a goal-scoring midfielder whose timing was incredible. Paul Scholes could run a game and was so clever and could outplay you and could go on your blind side as well and score from the edge of the box a lot, same as Frank. But Vieira and Keane played most of the game in front of you and they used to try and run a game by dictating the the pace of the game, the speed, and they'd try and lead and run a game and manage a game within the game. So they're all very different. They're all top class. Um, But I think if you play for Liverpool for that length of time that I did, you there's many more that you can mention as well who have caused me problems over the years Steve uh, I want to and, and this was it's an opinion so
1: uh, sport and football is all about opinion we had Joey Barton on the pod a couple of weeks ago and he said that in in his opinion you were head and shoulders above the lot he, he said that you're head and shoulders above the current Liverpool midfielders and isn't it the kind of weird twist of fate that they are the ones and it's obvious who they are that are, that are celebrating a Premier League title you never climbed that Everest, and I wonder on that, you know, he's saying you're head and shoulders above that. How is there a bit of jealousy there? How do you view yourself in that regard? Because, of course, it was the one that was missing of all of what you won, and, and yet the, the Milners, the Hendersons, not to be disrespectful at all, but they're celebrating a league title. Yeah,
0: listen, I, I don't think jealousy is the the, the right word. I, I'm, I'm not a jealous person in general, or away from football. I've never been a jealous player throughout my career. Um, so jealousy i have never, ever felt jealous towards a current group of players or, or a group of players that were before my time. Um, it wasn't to be for, for, for me. I tried everything I could. Um, I pushed as hard as I could. I got extremely close and had obviously a real low moment during the back end of that season that I don't really like talking about, but it obviously comes up from time to time, but it gets headlines and I want to move on from that. But I'm absolutely proud, being a Liverpool fan, now that the team have gone and won the Premier League. I knew it was only going to be a matter of time. I think it's the best Liverpool team I've watched or been involved in um, since the, the the teams of, what, the 80s and um, them type of eras. I'm not a jealous person at all. I'm absolutely delighted for Jordan Henderson. I know what he's put into it himself. I played with him. I know the guy. I know the man. I know the player. Um there was no one happier than me when when I seen Liverpool win that Premier League. But I'm sitting here now wishing that I had one myself <laughs> yeah. and that my journey went slightly different at certain times, or we could have attracted a few more better players at certain times when we were close, or a certain player didn't leave. So I have got a couple of regrets in terms of my own uh, what I achieved when it comes down to the Premier League. But jealousy and um, disappointments and all that, them type of words, I, I don't really relate to them to be honest.
2: Good answer. Stay. You know. Um... I mean you mentioned obviously Torres was probably the best striker that you played with. So you know in 2013 where it, it's probably the most fun I've I've, I've enjoyed watching the Liverpool side be, uh, Liverpool sides because obviously the the games that you won and you know the, the the joy and the enjoyment from every every single player was it was an absolute joy to watch. Now obviously finishing second in 2007 uh, and 8 and finishing second in 2013 14 what what was your favourite team to play in
0: out of those two sides? Uh, I was in my best years in the early one under Rafa, uh, but it never, ever felt like we were close or in a title race for real. Back then, I think it was 08 or 09, was, was the second time we finished second. We never really got in front or really felt like we were the favourites at any point. It always felt like we were chasing and catching and, and we had a small outside chance. I think in, in, in 13, 14... Um, we had such an exciting team. Brendan had us playing incredible football. Um, his, his management skills were really good and, and we were pushing incredibly hard and we were the favourites at the time. We were playing the best football. We were the most aggressive team. Everything was going for us. Um, and then obviously that moment obviously derailed us, if you like, or was the start, the beginning of the, the derailment. Um, so it was probably the 13-14 was a better team and yeah. had a more realistic chance of winning it for sure. Um, because in two thousand eight nine, we we didn't feel like we were ever going to get close enough. We were always like chasing the team above.
2: Okay, this day as well, and and I mean, forgive me for bringing this up, and I wanted to obviously bring up the two thousand thirteen season because obviously everyone always mentions to slip with yourself, uh, and and yeah. to be honest, and I'll tell you the reason why it does me head in, uh, yeah. but. That year, do, could, do you honestly remember everything about that year in terms of yourself and Man City?
0: Do, do you know what I've, what I've, you... I've, I've, never, I've never looked back on the season as a whole. Uh, I've got vague memories. Uh, I'm not like a Cara that is like <laughs> a stat only remembers every pass <laughs> and every decision and yellow card and throwing in corner. Um, I haven't really allowed myself to go back there. I'm not someone who really looks back that much. Um, the memory will always be there. I'm yeah. better now, for example, dealing with it than I was in the in the straight aftermath because it was really raw. I don't blame myself for the outcome of the whole season um, because the, the moment was actually cruel and something that I couldn't control. It wasn't a bad bit of play. It wasn't something that I got wrong. I didn't let my teammates down or the the game plan down or anything. It was just a, an, an unlucky moment, but it was yeah. such a big moment. So I have to respect that. Um, and I'm always someone who is firm on myself in terms of responsibility and accountability so I'd always take it on the chin if it does get mentioned or people do go to it I'll always front it up and uh, accept it but I've been around the game since I was 14 years of age I know to achieve something over 38 games there's a lot of things that happen good and bad along the journey I get that but that won't take away um, or underplay that moment yeah I've, I've accepted it and I've took accountability for it right, Steve the reason I
2: want to bring her up right is because
0: right you know
2: people go on about Liverpool saying not, not you but Liverpool bottled the league that year now I know mm. for a fact he never because I've studied that that year right and Liverpool lost one out of the last 19 games right incredible yeah. right Man City lost two out of the last 24 but no one ever mentions Chelsea you know Chelsea finished third on 82 points Right, so Chelsea lost against um, Sunderland. Sunderland. Sunderland the week before they beat us 2-0 at Anfield. Where well, as, as Azpilicueta slipped and gave away a penalty. And You probably remember, remember Barini scored a penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And So they yeah, won that know. game. So they lost, they lost the league, Chelsea, by four points. So the game before they beat Liverpool, they lost their home to Sunderland. And the game after Liverpool, they drew at home to Norwich. Like the game against Sunderland was the first time they'd lost at Stamford Bridge uh, in 78 games and they really? lost the league by four points and it, it always sort of grates me a little bit because Chelsea I think were a team that bottled the Premier League that year they lost three out of the last nine games yeah. and
0: no one you're ever me meant no, you make no. me feel better here can we just carry on can I add a bit more from you
2: no, that's, that's all I want to because it actually doesn't matter it's because people have a go at you for slipping because of who you are and what you've achieved Listen,
0: look that's fine if, if people want that to be the go-to moment and the memory I'm, I'm fine with that um, the people that know the game and uh, were involved and you know see the game from the first game to the last you know obviously it'll be different different type of education, but if people want that to be the go to moment, um, I'm all right with that. Well stay I I, I want everyone to
2: to sing about Aspa Laquetta slipping the week before <laughs> because Chelsea yes, lost the league. league. No, I do because you've I had don't. it for years and I don't want them to sing about you because you're an unbelievable player. No, you, listen, you don't
0: deserve it. The, the, the songs, the names and that, the, the, that doesn't hurt me. I've had more stick than that. Don't worry about that.
2: I've you've had more stick look. in a dress room, to be fair. Some of the, some of the club <laughs> I no used stick. to wear. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that, that was what I was getting to, Steve, to be honest. So uh, you, you probably haven't looked into it, but Chelsea lost three out of the last game, uh, three out of the last nine games.
0: And I know. No, and no listen, one ever I think every it. every player who, who who plays at the top has highs and lows, and you know, has fantastic memories that they remember and cherish, and some that they don't want to talk about or they're not comfortable talking about. But I'm not someone who would try and uh, make myself feel better or put myself in a better position by saying, "Oh, well, Asper Laqueta slipped," or the Chelsea fans sing about that me and point to John said, T- "I, I, I'll just say, yeah, okay, that was me." I, I done that, that's on me. I'll take it. I'm I am i am responsible for that. If that makes other sure people feel better by pointing fingers at me and, and or singing about me, good for them. I'm not really that bothered. I don't lose any sleep over that type of stuff to be honest.
2: Right, stay so obviously we're aware of your time and I know you you're busy, but I think before you go, right, right. we mentioned before about your greatest achievement. Um obviously mm. Champions League, you know, win FT Cups. Is your will your greatest achievement come
0: the end of the season? I think it'll be right up there uh, alongside it just because of the work I've had to put in here, the sacrifice, you know, um, not being with my family much, um, the, the size and the magnitude of the challenge that we took on, um, the, the the changes we've had to make. I think the feeling, um, especially because of how you know, most of my good moments and highlights came at the beginning and the, and the middle stage of my career. I obviously had a fantastic memory lifting a cup for Kenny in 2012. But the last few years of my Liverpool thing, up you know, because of the 2013-14 the season and then obviously um, leaving in in a year when I was off of the year, and I obviously regret that a little bit, not staying and signing that year. Um, it was tough at first for me to not be um, the Liverpool captain anymore I loved it I loved it that much I used to love going in every day I loved my routine I didn't ever want it to go at any age I'd have done it till I was 99 100 years of age And you, you, know, you know the feeling um, so then to get back to having this moment that could be alongside all the highlights of my career I think it'll feel really good if and when we do it but there's still a lot of hard work to do there's still big hurdles to get over and I'd never disrespect the challenge or get carried away before it was here.
1: I thought that would Brilliant. be your answer, Steve. I thought that would be yeah. your answer. Can he, we can't get you. Can't pin you down. I couldn't pin you down <laughs> in Dubai a year ago and we're not going to pin you down now. But listen, Stephen, bless you. The honesty that you've shown in this past 45 minutes, we appreciate it a great deal, my man.
0: Top man, no Steve. Problem. Bless you, lads. All the best. See you soon, mate. Good luck with everything. Cheers. Cheers. Good back luck. Back on, mate. No,
1: this is the Robbie Fowler Podcast.
2: Powered by McDonald's. McDonald's
1: McCafe, Great tasting coffee. Simple. Dubai Eye 103.8. Stephen Gerrard on the Robbie Fowler Podcast. And Rob, your your contact books, I, I've got to step up at some point, pal. I said it last week. Yeah,
2: yeah well, you have. Because, I mean, at the minute, everyone thinks this is a, a Robbie Fowler and Liverpool friends podcast.
1: <laughs> but listen,
2: you, you, you need... Yeah, you I'm need, getting to, start, you, you I'm need getting, to start joining in. I know I need or, to what, what I should say is Robbie Fowler and Christopher McCarty and <laughs> Liverpool friends
1: <laughs> being, gonna, being a
2: big red and all.
1: He he was brilliant. Was, yeah, hey, it was good. Yeah, hey, rail that back a bit. I've just heard what you said there. But <laughs> that that was uh yeah, he was brilliant, Stephen. Very good very good speaker, isn't he?
2: Yeah, uh, and he speaks well actually, and, and funny enough, a lot of the the, the lot of the chat I was talking, I mean, I, it resonates quite a lot because what you saying there about his his coaching philosophy, I uh, totally agree with. Uh, the way he is with his staff and his players in and around the place, um, you know, that voice all the time. Players will get fed up with it. you know, and, and I'm very very similar. You know, that is that is my ethos and my method as well. Uh, because I think that is, is is important in football. I think mm-hmm. you, you obviously you employ the people around you because they're experts at what they're doing. Uh, and look, it takes it takes a big man to ad- admit what he's just done there. You know, obviously, you know, he, he's saying that there's there's better coaches out there, uh, and he, he lets them get a, get ahead with his job or lets them go on with their job. And, and, and I totally relate because I, I'm in the same boat. There's better coaches than me. You know, there's no there's no. Questions needed to be answered on that one uh but I think the uh you know you as a as a as a figure in that you know forefront of the team uh you you just come in and you join in when you need to uh and and be that voice and be that man when uh, when the team needs you.
1: Yeah, Stephen Gerrard 21 points clear Rangers are at the top of the Scottish Premiership listen Rob we are going to catch up again next week I will I promise you bring someone to the party for now a quick (laughs) reminder uh, another episode next Monday the Robbie Fowler podcast available on all your usual podcast haunts Uh, we're also we've got a YouTube channel do check that out give that a subscribe would you because you can watch every single interview that's Jurgen Klopp that's Graham Souness that's Joey Barton that's Sir King Kenny and now Stephen Gerrard all up on there the Robbie Fowler podcast Good man, Rob. Catch you next week.
2: See you soon, pal. This has been the Robbie Fowler podcast,
1: powered by McDonald's.
2: Hear it again and more of our podcasts at Dubaii1038.com.